Linda L. Richards is the award-winning author of 15 books, the founder and publisher of January Magazine, and a contributing editor to the crime fiction blog, The Rap Sheet. She's best known for her strong female protagonists in the thriller genre. We talk about what it looks like for somebody far into a professional career writing, how to market, what works, what doesn't work, and most importantly, how you make the work that you do matter to who matters most. As always, I encourage you not to worry about rating and reviewing my show, but if you want to do something that makes a difference, recommend this podcast to your friend who's just about to publish their first book. That's who my show is for, people who are on the cusp of that first book and need to know how to market it successfully so that they can sell tons of copies and make a living at this thing. We all want to make a living as writers. That's why we're listening. That's why you're here. So share this with a friend to help them further on the road. I appreciate you tuning in today. Make sure that you hit the follow button, whatever podcast app you're using, so that you get every single notification for my show, whether it comes out on a Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. Appreciate you again. Enjoy this episode with Linda L. Richards. Welcome to Create Collaborate, the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name is Jody Sperling, and I'm determined to help you whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, you'll be hearing from an industry expert on how they made the leap from unpublished to published, and how you can do it too. You wrote a book about elephant seals, if I remember. Um, talk to me about that process and why it was interesting to you. That's a, that was a passion project. And it came about because I was at Piedras Blancas, which is by uh, Hearst Castle. And uh, the first time I saw them was maybe 2011. And I saw thousands of seals on the beach. And at first, like, they looked dead. They're just lying there, fin to fin. And I'm like, what is this? And then every time I was in that area, which was frequently, I would stop and I'd look at them and I would talk to the docents. And I learned that this was a new thing for them. This beach was not like a historic beach. In fact, in 1920, elephant seals were functionally extinct. There were less than 100 individuals in the world. And now there were over 250,000. And so right away, I wanted to do a kid's book because I thought there's so much bad news in the world and kids get so much of it. I wanted to, I wanted to give kids, I wanted to give children good news. And it was, and how people had had part in it and what, and that we could do something because it's so easy to feel powerless. That is a beautiful message. It's true about every endeavor that we take on in life that uh, it's, it's, full of bad news and hardship and trouble. And so it's great to have a positive message of recovery and growth and flourishing. You've published 15 books. Um, I want to ask you, what is the enduring lesson that you feel you've learned through this process? What, what comes to mind more than anything else after uh, such a successful career publishing? Um, people always ask me, um, I was asked actually the other day, I was doing a signing at a Barnes and Noble and a kid came up to me and said he was writing a thriller. And what's the one thing that I should tell him? What's the one, if you're going to give me one piece of advice, what would you say? And I 
didn't have to think very hard to say, write the book that's in your heart. Like, don't try to figure out what the market wants, because if for no other reason that by the time you get it together enough to get it to market, the market's going to want something else anyway. Write the best book you can. I don't think anyone ever lie on their deathbed and said, oh, damn, I shouldn't have written that book so well. <laughs> you know? So even if nobody else cares, if you know you wrote, wrote the best book, you've got that. I love that. Talk to me more about that, that perspective, because I think right now there is a popular perspective and culture uh, that comes from the phrase, I write for myself, or people will say, write for yourself. And in a way you are saying that, but I also hear you're saying something different because you immediately mentioned your readers. You said, I'm not writing for the market uh, because I don't know what the market wants, but you're also thinking about readers. Tell me how that fits into your your message about writing the best book you can? Well, that is an interesting question because, yeah, because I did say with, I was really thinking about the kids and giving them a positive message. And I says, just finished another one on wild horses. That won't be out till 2023. But, and again, there are so, there's just so much, like it's a, it's nonfiction for children for me is really, really a different journey than fiction for adults. The elephant seals don't kill people. And most of the time people are killing each other in my books, but in my fiction, but also, yeah, I don't, I don't have a reader in mind, but I do, I do write them for me. I write the fiction for me. And my process is such that it's like binging a series for me. I don't know how it's going to end up. I know that there are themes and, but on that first draft, I don't know what they are when I'm, when I'm sanding, I'll look for the themes and, and what is it? What are we talking about unity? Are we talking about motherhood or loss or all of those aspects of human experience? And astonishingly, when I get to that place of sanding, I usually do discover a theme. There's something that I'm working out. So yeah, I think the fiction is, I think the fiction is for me. Yeah, definitely. So talk to me about with, with Exit Strategy. So that book, uh, for listeners who don't know, is a sequel to another book that you wrote that has been optioned for uh, TV. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get made, but it does mean that people have taken enough interest in what you've written that they want to take it to a bigger audience. Um, and as much as we wish that more people read than watched TV, that's not the case. So that's a stamp of approval that whatever you're doing, you're reaching people. All of my books have started out as standalones and I've written three series uh, that have three books each in them. And um, I didn't set out to write a series and I know I've talked to authors who plotted a series and they plotted an arc and I didn't do that. I started out to tell a story and in the course of telling that story, and it happened again with endings, the character, just other things presented themselves even while I was working. I'm, I'm plotted several, several books ahead on, on with this character right now, just because things come out and things like, there's a whole plot that came out of the third book, which is I'm just finishing right now that I've already dumped into a file for the fourth book because it just didn't fit. So it was like a subplot that just wanted to be more. So I don't plan it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I don't either. I'm working on a sequel for my my novel that is shopping right now, and I never thought I was going to write a sequel. Uh, but it just this this character for me was so vivid and so alive. I felt like she had something else to say, and she kept coming up in like subplots to other novels I was writing. And I thought that's not the best way to go about it. I mean, she just demands a bigger voice than that. That's fun. Oh no, I like that. I think that is maybe the way to go, that she is, uh, who else has done that? I mean, Stephen King has done that some, I think, where there's recurring, there's a minor character that was a major character in other stories. So yeah, that's very fun. And I fell in love with the process from him. He, the way that he ties so many stories together and brings different elements of each book. I mean, his entire universe is connected and I am quite a fan of his so I am I am as well and I don't care about the topic and people go like oh you read and I don't read horror I'm the only Mm -hmm. time I really have is when I was trying to find more like him and yeah there aren't his voice is so beautiful and distinctive and sometimes his writing is so beautiful sometimes I'll stop and go just read a sentence again or a paragraph again and just am stopped by the beauty Yes, absolutely. You know, I will, and I I think I've said this before, so I won't linger here on this podcast long, but The Stand is one specifically. I think before that, I was a a fan who read his work secretively because I came from MFA culture where Stephen King was considered a hack. Um, But I, I secretly would read him and like him so much. And then in The Stand, when he blows everything up with a nuke, and you're, you're not expecting that to happen. That was the moment where I thought he's better than everybody who calls him a hack. He's actually on to something. And this was brilliant. You read him before 2020? Yes. Because <laughs> yes. <laughs> we all went back there. I was like, no, did, am I suddenly in a Stephen King novel? Oh, my goodness. I know. <laughs> um, so what are the kind of things that you would say to a first-time novelist who's getting ready to go out there and sell their book? What's the, what, what, like, just talk about it for a minute. I don't need to ask the most important. Oh. Just talk about it. I mean, first, I wouldn't say I'm a master because if I was a master... I would not be small F famous, which definitely I am at this stage of my career, small F famous, but I'm working on it. And it's a work in progress. When I started, I mean, when I started, there were even um, authors who were resistant to having websites. And, you know, actually there still are because I'm a member of some professional groups and I'll talk to authors that say, I don't need to do that or social media. I don't need to do that. Dude, no, you absolutely do need to do that. And, um, I am, um, this series is published by Ocean View and they have a wonderful publicist who made it very clear from the beginning that they had an expectation that I would participate in, in all of those things. Like how many hours a week will you devote to doing that? Um, as it turns out, I love, um, I love social media and kind of play it to win. But um, you do a lot of social media too, don't you? I do a ton, yeah. I, uh, similar to what you're saying, it took me a long time to understand the importance of a brand. So I got my literary agent back in 2019. She is so kick-ass and so good at what she does. She had a hard time selling me because I had 200 friends on Facebook, uh, non-existent Twitter, no Instagram, no TikTok or anything. When I realized how important it was, I treated it like a full-time job and there's been rewards in more ways than I can express. Right. And it's a fine line, isn't it? Because TikTok, I got heavily involved in TikTok in, uh, actually during the pandemic, 
And I, I heard, I don't know if it's true for me, maybe it would have been true. I didn't get there. To be successful on TikTok, you need to be creating three TikToks a day. Yeah. So for a while I did that. And I discovered that I couldn't do that. I couldn't mm. do anything worthwhile. I mean, I did a lot with my cat and dog, but outside of that, coming up with creative things, you couldn't do that and also write books. Like you couldn't do three worthwhile TikToks a day. That has to be like your whole career. Feels like it. I'm really struggling on TikTok and I'm, I'm giving it a, a huge effort, but it is so challenging. And I believe now it doesn't mean that we don't have to change who we are. Cause you mentioned like some authors are not, not doing the website. They're not doing Twitter. They're not present and they need to be. So we do have to be adaptive, but man, TikTok is this environment where it's so foreign to what we're doing. We're working with words on a page and then to be a presence on the screen, it, it does feel pretty unnatural. Do you, do you agree or? I, no, I no, I, you I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, because like when I think about you and what you're doing, like I could see how you could come up with a really great TikTok stream, if that's the language, without too much effort because you do all these fantastic interviews and I've listened to a bunch and they are fantastic, enjoying them very much. But you could just like do little excerpts and, you know, slide in some visual and just edit it and do that without, you know, forgive my length, busting your ass too much. But yeah, do that, right? Or you could do that because yeah. that's the other thing I hear to be successful on TikTok. Like you have to do, like get your niche and then go with it. Well, yeah. I didn't really, like I would do plants, I'd be walking. And I mean, I did a TikTok the other day, but it was just sort of like, lean, here's my book. But I hadn't done one for months because I had yep. to stop. Also, I had to stop looking at them because that's the other thing. You fall down this rabbit hole and then you lose the hour and you know, you're never gonna get that hour back. And those porn books don't write themselves. No, they so, don't. <laughs> so I wrote three books. I've written three books in the last 12 months. That's brilliant. I want to I want to stop there for a minute because I think that I have a, a great deal to learn from you about speed. Uh, I'm very slow at producing books, even with as much time as I've had writing. How do you write that quickly? Well, I, I don't really. Okay. I've written three in the last 12 months, but I mean, that's not really true. It's kind of not true. Because I had, <laughs> not to say it's a lie, but it's not true in that I had, I had um, mental work into sure. all three of them and some physical work into all three of them. One is a series book. So the backstory is already written. I mean, how you handle that, that takes some work. But okay, so I did that. I did a standalone and that, so maybe, okay, three books in a year and a half, if I'm totally honest. I did a standalone that's with my agent that I'm not going to talk about other than she's really excited about it. And so am right. I. Um, and I did the horse book, which is not a ton of words, but they're really hard words because nonfiction, and there's a, that's a lot of research. And yes. your audience is nine to, my audience is nine to 13 year olds. You've just got to get everything right. And yeah. I, I kind of feel like I... I need to get it right for them because they're counting on me too. Plus my editor will count on me to get it all right too. Not that there isn't research in the fiction. I mean, there is some, but it's a really different kind of research and it's less, I want to say tedious, like in nonfiction, 
if you say this, if you describe something like an elephant seal, like their ears or how their eyes work, yeah. like you have to get it right. In fiction, depending on your POV in the book, you can just kind of go over it fast. Like yeah. I have written all these books with people killing each other. Should I admit this? Sure, why not? I've never <laughs> actually shot a gun and I don't approve of them. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, but they need to sometimes, but because it, of their viewpoint, they can, you know, kind of shorthand things in a way. And then I do have, you know, fact checkers and stuff that make sure that. Yeah. It rings authentic. Absolutely, yeah. Well, so let's let's stop for just a second at the gun thing because it's a uh, when is it not actually an apt moment to discuss guns in real life versus what's happening in fiction? But uh, at the moment that we're recording this, there's just been a terrible school shooting in Texas uh, where where nine year old kids were the targets um, and an eighteen year old boy that probably would have passed the background check to get the gun uh, was the murderer. So. It's a very real world consequence to guns. And um, I'm somebody who has shot guns, not a tremendous lot, but I grew up in the Corn Belt in Nebraska. And so it's a part of life. And you have relatives who have guns and you shoot uh, clay pigeons and things like that. But let me tell you, the first time I shot a gun, I understood immediately this is a lethal weapon. Like it feels so terrifying. And it's not something that I enjoy. And I, I'm baffled by the moment that we're in right now. So I, I think based on that, we have to stop and we have to acknowledge guns are very serious. Now, here's a really cool thing. What you're doing with your fiction and the use of, of lethal weapons and guns and different things is something totally different. So I didn't plan this. I didn't want to ask this question, but I want to hear from you a little bit about that thought process for you, because I, I know that you're doing something empowering um, in this form. It's yeah, it is. It is something I've been thinking about a lot because it is, you know, and it's not just in this moment, but I guess I want to say in this era, first, I should tell you, full disclosure, I'm Canadian. And so I kind of come at it from a different place again, because the, the you know, the realities, I have spent a lot of time in the United States, and I'm, I live in the United States. But um, the sensibility, and the thought overall is quite different in Canada not the same as the UK, but maybe more like that than here in that it's, you don't just walk in someplace and get, you know. Yeah. In the, in the ending series, and ending started is it's from the perspective of a hit woman, um, as a perspective of someone who kills for money and it's um, first person immediate. So it's happening right now. And I knew, and it started with a short story I wrote a number of years ago that was, that a lot of people really liked. And um, with the short story, I was exploring kind of what it would take for a nice person, say someone like me, to kill someone for money. What would have to happen in my life for me to, and I mean, I'm not totally convinced, but it, it, she loses everything like she she loses uh she loses everything in her life and the story the the book and now the books isn't so much about uh, a hit woman because i a lot of people kept saying that short they like the short story and they're like oh linda it needs to be a book it's like ah, another hit person going around killing people that's boring it's been done 
And then I realized that it, it wasn't that. It's about her redemption. Like, how do you come back from that? That being the case, you know, even with that in mind, she does, you know, kill people for money on occasion. And it's an uncomfortable ride for some people. Um, and, and because you're asking someone to ride along, essentially, since it is first person <clears throat> immediate, like you're right there. It's not justifiable. And she, and in the second book, she's dealing with a lot of darkness. Um, she's thinking about sometimes ending her own life in a more distant way than I've just said it. But she's dealing with almost the aftermath of some of the things that she has been creating. So does that answer your question? I guess thoughtfully. I guess that's, that's how I would answer that. How do you deal with it? Not mindfully, thoughtfully. Yeah. There's something strange and powerful about putting ourselves in the mind of somebody who does something utterly unlike the life that we live. Um, my wife and I have talked about it a lot of times before, and there are all kinds of things that I've never done that I can actually imagine myself doing. I can sort of walk my brain down the, the pathway to lead me to a horrible atrocity. There are some things I can't imagine, but fiction gives us a great ability to explore those things. And I think that it betters us as a people. When you publish these books and your readers read them, do you feel that they are learning something empowering from the lessons of the book? Well, I know, first of all, one of the things that came up for you, for me, when you were saying that is we need to be careful about what we ingest too, because brains don't know the difference between what we've experienced and what we think about, which is interesting, which is why yeah. I kind of, you know, despite the kind of books that I write, I'm pretty careful about what I feed my brain in terms of music and shows and things that I read you're using that same caution when you're writing your book. You're not gratifying violence for the sake of gratifying violence. You're using violence to exploit, and you already said it, that sense of like responsibility. Oh no, there's no justification for what I've done. I killed somebody for money, now what? And right. how do you feel that your reader then engages with that uh, dilemma? So the whole series begins with a, a terrible tragedy in her life. And tragedy like loss, like all of the things that happen in our life, like it's not a contest, right? Like somebody can have a tragedy that's less tragic than losing everyone in their life, than losing their whole life. And it can feel just as tragic. So I think people identify with that, readers identify with that because we've all felt loss and we all deal with it in different ways. And mostly we do not go and kill people. And I have never done that. <laughs> Just the disclaimer, in case anybody is listening, it's on the record now. Um, so today, uh, I posted a question early on Twitter. Uh, when was the last time you talked to your father? And I, I knew that there were going to be some people who would say, you know, 1975, when he passed away. What I wasn't prepared for was how many people said that. I thought that most people would be like, oh, I talked to him last week, or it's been five years, things are rocky. I was expecting that version of a conversation, but the vast majority of people cited the death of their father as the reason for answering that question. And, and Twitter is this cool place where you quickly learn what your questions actually mean. Um, what's interesting then is my, my opportunity to reply 99% of the time is I'm sorry for a loss. We don't get to go any further than that as human to human, because even though we all have dads, 
we don't all know exactly how it feels to lose your dad. I know how it would feel to lose mine. What you're doing with fiction is something that's really cool in that you're able to embody somebody who's not you and go through that experience with them and then hand that book to somebody else who now gets to experience their version of what that person feels. How much is that a thought process for you as far as handing off the full product to the reader and how they're going to interpret what you write? Do you think about that or do you try to keep yourself distant from it? That's, that's a great question. I think about that a lot in that I try, I try to write in a way that I'm not giving you pictures. I'm giving you the tools you need to build your own pictures. Um, I don't describe, if I describe a physical characteristic, it's because it's important. If a chair is gonna break because the guy's just so big and giant, like then I might mention he's big and giant, but most of the time there's no, there's no hair color, there's no anything because we do, I want the characters to be identified by the shape they make in the world. No matter what, when you start reading, you, build, you start building a picture. You have a picture right away. You don't need me to do it. So the, the way that the vocal kind of inflections and the kind of the things she does when she twirls her hair, you know, all of those inform you. So I'm not thinking about what you're going to see. I'm thinking about helping you see something and feel something, more importantly, feel something, get how getting you involved somehow as a reader. We've talked a lot about um, the kind of periphery of society where, where bad things are happening or great things. I mean, the, the recovery of the elephant seal is, is uh, victorious in ways that almost no species experiences. So we have covered both sides of the spectrum. Um, you talked about wanting to make your reader feel something and that that's the most important connection. Do you have a sense when you're doing it? Because there's certain things that, um, actually you asked a question on Twitter the other day. Do you, well, I think it was you. Do you ever start a sentence with so? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a silly one that just went like crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if you saw my response. And I, I said- haven't. Um, I said, only if it's for pacing. So I, I, I just started a sentence with so right there. But in writing, I would only start a sentence with so when I'm slowing things down. There are tools that we can use to bring, um, to make a moment, you know, larger, right? One of the things that I don't know, maybe everybody knows this, but I feel like I can't, I, I stumbled across this one, read it somewhere and it's true. One of the things that makes things pop is smell because it's a book, right? How do we get smell of vision? But in, <laughs> I, only, I use smell very carefully, but if I really want to slow things down and make somebody feel it viscerally, mm. I'll, just, I'll carefully describe a smell is just, and I usually have like only one smell per book because it's a, yeah. a big one, right? That 
is amazing. And it's so right. wild that you're talking about it at this exact moment. I'm I'm writing my book right now and my, my main character is in a morgue and there's somebody who's been kept in the morgue too long for nefarious reasons. And the smell of the person's body as time is taking over, I've been dwelling on it and it's taken me a week to write 500 words. This almost never happens to me. I'm a little quicker than that, but it's just like the perfection of the smell. And every time I go back and read it, I'm like, that's not it. And so I try it again and I try it again and I keep failing. It smells hard. It is. It isn't. It isn't because you can overthink <laughs> it too, right? But sure. just introducing the idea of smell. Yeah. And you don't have to see here again. You don't have to color it all in because your reader brings so much and yep. you want them to bring it. So just hinting at it, because sometimes we can't, if we can make it too big, sure. but if you're just hinting at it, they know what that they smell a crow that was dead on the road. They smell, you know, meat that's gone bad. You, if you just whisper it, it'll get in their brain. Yes. It's magical what we do. It's yeah. magical. Yeah. It is. Yeah. The fact that you can read and have visual pictures is something that's really amazing. Everybody listening right now has an experience of having seen a movie of a book they read and wishing they hadn't seen the movie because now they can no longer see the character they imagined. They can no longer have the pacing that they pictured and, and like whole worlds disappeared when the movie just crashed down on your, your mind. So it is amazing. I interviewed Kazuo Ijiguro for January Magazine. Um, I wow. interviewed him uh i can't remember what book he was promoting but he won the booker for it this is like 20 years ago wow. and um i asked him what it was like because he wrote remains of the day which was a fantastic film i asked him what that process was like for him hmm. and he said it was he said it was wonderful but it was like watching somebody making a movie about nothing to do with my book because but it was like they had uh, taken his art and used it to inspire their own art, which I thought was so I yeah. know, so fantastic. That's wild. I think it was Never Let Me Go. Is that the one that won the booker? I think. Yes, Never yeah. Let Me Go. That's right. It's a yeah. good book. It's a if you haven't read it before, listeners, it's a delight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is a perfect spot, though, because I do I wanted to transition over to your role as an editor for a magazine. It's probably the last piece of uh, my personal curiosity is how much has that enabled you to market your own work? Do you find that it's a platform for you to reach a different kind of reader and expand your touch? Or is it another passion project or somewhere in between? It would have been if I had. OK, so January magazine started in. Wait for it. 1997. And it was a dot-com success story. Like it was, you know, it was one of those. And then yeah. the dot-com boom, like the money went away and I had structured it in a way that I was able to keep doing it. And it became another passion project. It started that yeah. way. It went back to that, but it has suffered under, of, from my own writing because okay. I, it, it continues to go, but not in the way that it was. I mean, I could do that with it, so I haven't, I haven't maximized that platform in that way. But okay. what I did do, I don't know, this might be a place for this, is it, I didn't realize when I was interviewing those, all those authors, there was like 200 authors that I interviewed in the course of January Magazine, like face-to-face -face, quite often over lunch, Margaret Atwood, Salman Rushdie, um, 
like oh, so many huge authors. I didn't realize when I started doing it that I was trying to gain the courage to write a novel because I'd written a bunch of nonfiction books, but I, I was scared that I would sit by myself and for a year and then nobody would care. <laughs> but um, I wanted to know, and I wanted to know what was the secret to writing a successful novel, right? Yeah. So I talk a lot and those interviews are all online. I talk a lot in those interviews with them about process. Um, that just the basics of process and what I discovered was that they had all at one point done. There's one thing that they all did. Do you know what it is? I'm bated breath actually. <laughs> there was one thing that I did that I had not at that point done. At one point they had all locked themselves in a room and written in a book because I was like trying to figure out how to do it. And the how to do it was to actually do it. Lock yourself in a room. Well, yeah. just metaphorically. Not I understand. Really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just I understand. to actually, you had to actually put all those words on paper. So I've, I've had this, uh, this idea of um, weight and weight gain are things that are really important to me outside of my writing life. And I've always struggled with weight. I kind of yo-yo back and forth. And I had this idea for a novel that I've not written. Maybe at some point I will, or maybe somebody will steal the idea and go for it if you wish of, of uh, that kind of a scenario where you lock somebody in a room and force them to lose weight. Like who's the person who loves you so much that, uh, but in, when I say so much, I mean, in a twisted way, locks you in a room and gives you oh carrots. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you've read, um, thinner, you've read thinner, right? Yes. Oh boy. <laughs> the ending of that novel too is wild. And um, oh. that cemetery is probably the one that, that most mirrors that one in terms of ending. You're just like, Oh, didn't expect that. I think you have to go write that book. I think that's a good, I think that's a good problem. Like, and you can do so much. It could be scary. It could right. be happy. It could be dark. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks. This is a perfect spot. I, I have the sense you and I could talk for much longer. I would love for you to share with my audience where they can find you. I will link to all of your information in my show notes. LindaLRichards.com. Not um, LindaLRichards.com. It's all there. I have a link tree on all of my social medias like yours are Linda L. Richards. Oh, no, yours are Jody Spilling. <laughs> right, yep, yep. Mine are Linda L. Richards. Um, my TikTok, my Instagram, my um, my Twitter. I shouldn't have started with TikTok because it's lame. Don't go there. <laughs> and on Instagram, you'll see my link tree. Perfect. I'm easy to find. So two things I do want to say, even though I wasn't thinking about it, but um, here's a marketing tip that that you did probably on purpose, have the same handle everywhere. It's just smart business so that people don't have to try to figure out who you are, where you are. Freakywriter.com. No. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So just have the same handle. It's really smart. And Linktree is another smart thing. What do you pay like two or three bucks for a Linktree per month or something? Three. Yeah. Three bucks. So it's not a big deal. I don't even have the fancy one. Yeah, but it's good enough. And it, it gives you the ability to, uh, for, for listeners who don't have one, you click the Linktree and it takes you to a, a landing page that has all of your different links if you wish to, and you can kind of browse from there. So it was lovely. This was such a fun conversation. I knew it was going to be, I was really anticipating. It's the most nervous I've been in a little while to interview somebody, but uh, just enjoyed Thank you. it. That's so sweet. <laughs> this Absolutely. was super fun. Thank you, yes. Jody, and all the best with your writing and Thank you. Yeah, you as well. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling your truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, 
apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Jody J. Sperling. And hey, there's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening. Thank you.